Welcome to Bible Basics, Episode 1 on the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Genesis, the word Genesis means beginnings, and this book is about the beginnings of of everything, pretty much, of many things, about the beginning of the universe and the beginning of humankind, the beginning of the people of Israel, and the beginning of God's activity in the world. This writing probably dates back before the time of King David, maybe back as far as 1100 years before the birth of, of Jesus. It has many connections to Near Eastern cultures. Uh, The most well-known probably is the legend of Gilgamesh, a Mesopotamian legend that is very similar to the story of Noah and the Great Flood. Uh, But there is a uniqueness to the Hebrew thought that is found in this book, Uh, most particularly the monotheism, all the other religions of uh, the world at that time uh, involve multiple gods. And the other distinguishing feature is that the God that is celebrated in the book of Genesis is a benevolent God. The the gods of the, the Mesopotamian world and the Egyptian world were gods who played with people. People were pawns in the games and the wars and the battles and the loves that the gods had among themselves. And and human beings were just pawns in, in that whole operation. But the Hebrew people saw a completely different God, a God who was interested in human beings and interested in interacting with human beings and interested in the welfare of the people. I picture the ancient days, a a group of old men from a village who were too old to work in the fields anymore, and they had decided that they really needed to get out of the village, so they get away from the, you know, screaming children and all the heat and everything, and they, so they climbed up on a mountain nearby, and they sat up on top of the mountain, and at first they just visited, but they began to ask themselves questions about how things came to be the way they are. And I picture one old guy saying, well, my grandpa told me that this guy named Abraham brought his family over here. And so maybe the stories started and they, they began to seek out answers and truths to uh, the questions that they had. Eventually, as they kept going up to these high spots, they would beat down an area that, that, uh, where they always sat and these became holy places. And as they interacted with their God up on top of these mountains and they interacted with each other and they uh, wrote down the things that they thought God was telling them, uh, those things became the sacred stories that they passed along as well. So that is what Genesis is. Uh, Not that it happened exactly that way, but but that is what Genesis is. It's the, it's the saga. It's uh, uh, the story of the people of God. It's the, the myth that gives the people of God their identity. 
And when I use the word myth, I, I don't mean that it's not true. There is a lot of truth in the book of Genesis. Uh, although the history of it, exactly the way it's written down, may or may not be uh, exactly the way things came about. It has some themes that run through the book of Genesis that are actually themes that run through the whole Bible. Uh, God promises things. God gives blessings to people. God elects or chooses people to do things. And God saves those who are lost. This is a God who makes covenants, who makes agreements, uh, almost like law agreements with, uh, with his people and with, with people he chooses. Also, throughout the book, human life grows more complex. Starts with everything quite simple in the Garden of Eden with two people, and there's no boundaries between God and, the, and, and humans. Uh, and it grows, and of course, then there's the fall, and it grows more and more complex as time goes on. That's a truth I think that we, we still see today. I, I, mean, I there have been a few times in my life I said things were much simpler when I was little. And in truth, they were. There were fewer people in the United States. And, and uh, life was just a little bit simpler. And, and now it's a little more complex. So this is a, a truism, I think. But it's a, it's a theme that is found throughout the Bible. As, as, as the history of the Bible uh, is unveiled, uh, human life gets more and more complex and you might say more and more difficult. And another theme that runs through the whole Bible is that God works out his plans through human beings. Um, he chooses human beings to do things. God has a plan. God has a plan for this whole cosmos that he has built. Uh, and for some reason that's never explained and is unknown to us, God has decided to work those plans out through human beings. Uh, the basic story uh, starts out with uh, seven days of creation. There's really two creation stories. One is in uh, chapters 1, 1 through 2, 3. That's the one that we all know where God, uh, God works for seven days and, and, or for six days and, and creates everything and then rests on the seventh day. Uh, God creates by speaking. And in this account, he uh, creates human beings at the end. Uh, and creates them male and female at the same time and makes humans in God's image. In the prelude to the Gospel of John, uh, God also creates by speaking. And John presents Jesus as the Logos, or the Word of God, and, and explains that Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Christ, was there at the beginning of creation and, uh, and in fact was the creating force that God used to make all things. So once again, uh, we have an account of the word of language being the creative uh, force. Uh, Book of Proverbs gives the same characteristics and the same relationship with God to a character called Lady Wisdom. And uh, so if you put all this into a package, you get a, a picture of wisdom and creation and the creative force coming through the development and the use of language, which, of course, 
was the thing that brought civilization into being. The second story uh, of creation uh, does not follow the same order. Human beings are created earlier uh, in the process. God makes a human being from the dirt, from the dust of the earth, and he breathes life into him. He he says he breathes the breath of life into man's nostrils. That word breath is pneuma in Greek, and pneuma means uh, air, really. Uh, It's the same word that is used, going to be used later in the New Testament for the Spirit of God. And, of course, we know the word pneuma from pneumatics, you know, pneumatic tools. And so this uh, breath of life is it's more than just God given CPR to this being that he's made. It's the actual life force that comes from God and, and comes from the spirit of God. And then uh, the story moves to, uh, of course, then the, the woman is made later from uh, from man, because God determines that man needs a companion. So Adam and Eve are there in the Garden of Eden, uh, where they're everything, they don't have to work, everything's provided for them. Uh, God is present with them all the time. There's no dividing line between heaven and earth. But they are told that they can eat from the tree of life, which sits in the middle of the garden, but not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of course, they cannot follow that example because like all human beings since, they want to determine their own fate and they want to be their own God and make their own decisions and be free. And so they pick fruit from the, and they eat fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and as a result, God banishes them from the garden uh, and they are banished out to east of Eden, the Bible tells us. That's uh, how John Steinbeck got the name for his famous novel of of the same title, East of Eden. And then there's a story of Cain and Abel. So shortly after Adam and Eve sin and are banished from the garden, we have the very first murder in human history when Cain kills his brother Abel. He murders him because of jealousy. He is jealous that God Um, seems to think more highly of Abel and of Abel's uh, sacrifices and worship than he does of Cain. We're never told exactly why that is, but but in fact, here we have the first murder, and things go downhill from there. Uh, There's this fanciful story about the Nephilim, who are uh, giants that roam the earth and uh, who are the result of union between angels and human beings and how uh, God finally looks at this whole mess and and all the sin and and things aren't going the way he planned them to go and he decides to destroy everything and start over again. But he finds one one honest, righteous man in Noah. And so Noah and his family and two animals of, of every species get to be saved. They go on the ark and, and they survive the flood that wipes out everything else. And we begin again. But of course, the story of sin uh, continues uh, almost as soon as Noah gets off the ark. Uh, first thing he does, as a matter of fact, is go get drunk. 
So then we move to the story of Abraham. It goes through a few generations and explanations of how that happens. But we get to the story of Abraham, who lives in Ur, which is over by the Tigris and Euphrates River. Uh, and God calls him to come to the promised land. So he packs up his wife, Sarah, and his family, and he heads that way. Uh, Sarah, it turns out, cannot have children, but God promises Abraham that he will be the, the he makes a covenant with him and tells him that he will watch over Abraham, will watch over his family, and that his family, his descendants will be so numerous as the stars, and that they will be a great nation, and that they will be God's people. Sarah, eventually in her old age, does have a child, Isaac. Uh, earlier, Abraham has had a, uh, a son by one of the servant women named Ishmael. So we then have a little contest between who is going to be the favored son, Isaac or Ishmael. Sarah manages to have Ishmael and his mother sent off into the desert uh, to die, but they do survive. And Ishmael becomes the ancestor of the uh, Arabian people. And Isaac, of course, the, uh, the ancestor, he's one of the patriarchs of the Jewish people. So we follow that story of the patriarchs uh, from Abraham to Isaac and then to Isaac's son, Jacob. Uh, Jacob is somewhat of a schemer, and he manages to steal his brother's inheritance and, and blessing. And uh, his brother Esau, and, and who is the older brother, and and had the birthright, and Esau threatens to kill Jacob, and, and so Jacob's mother, Rebecca, tells him that he needs to run away for a while, let things settle down. So he goes to Haran, uh, an area to the north uh, where his uncle lives, and while he's there, he becomes quite wealthy. He marries uh, both uh, Leah and Rachel, and uh, eventually, after some time, he decides to come back to the, to the promised land, to the land of his father, uh, and to make up with his brother Esau. When, while, uh, while he's running away, uh, while he's on his way to Haran, he stops at a place called uh, uh, Beersheba. And... He reaches one night, he gets to a place where he, the sun's going down and he decides that he's going to uh, take a nap. So he takes one of the stones and he puts his head on it and he lays down to sleep and he has a dream. And he sees a stairway, we call it Jacob's Ladder in the songs and in Sunday school. But he sees a stairway that goes from earth to heaven and he sees angels, angels of God ascending and descending on it. And then he sees God standing there and, and God says, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the lands on which you are lying. Jacob doesn't quite believe him, uh, but he, he does remember that dream and it influences him the rest of his life. Jesus, much later, uh, when talking to his disciples, uh, his disciples are so... Uh, impressed with that he can read their minds, that he knows what they're thinking. And, and uh, 
in the Gospel of John, in the first chapter, he he answers their wonder about this by saying, you, you haven't seen anything yet. You're going to see much greater miracles than me just knowing what you're thinking. And then he says, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, Jesus knew the Bible very well. He was a rabbi. He, he had Genesis memorized. Remember, there wasn't a lot of writing going on in these days. So the rabbis memorized big chunks of the Bible. So Jesus knew the Bible really well. And he knew he was talk, what he was talking about was Jacob's ladder. So what he is saying to his disciples is, here I am. I'm, I'm Jacob's dream, Jacob's ladder, the dream of mankind that they would have access to God uh, in the flesh. I, I am the way to God. And then, so Jacob goes and he, and he has this, this time in Haran where he gets married, gets rich, and he comes back. And when he gets to the Jabbok River, just, which is the boundary between his uncle's land and, and the land of his, his, his own land, land of his father, he sends all his wives and his children and his, all his herds and his servants and everything across the river, but he stays alone there. And while he's there, he gets in a wrestling match with this man who wrestles with him all night long. Uh, and when this man, who turns out to be God, uh, sees that he can't overpower him, he, he touches his hip and he, he wounds him. And uh, the man then says, let me go for it's daybreak. Well, it, in the belief of that time, you couldn't see God. If you saw God face to face, that he would die. And so God is saying to Jacob, let me go, because if the sun comes up and you see me face to face, you're not just going to be have an injured hip. You're going to be dead. But Jacob says, I'm not going to let go unless you bless me. And then uh, God changes Jacob's name to Israel, which uh, means the one who wrestles with God. And, uh, and then uh, blesses him. Uh, Jacob does ask God his name. And God doesn't really uh, reply. He says, why do you ask me my name? And when, when Jacob's asking God for his name, God, Jacob is really asking, tell me what you are and who you are. What is your, not just what your name is, but what's your nature? What's your character? Names are really important in, in the Old Testament and to some degree in the New. They, they mean a lot and they tell you not just a label for the person, but they tell you about the person. So Jacob wanted to know more about God. But anyway, he hangs on until he's blessed. And then, uh, and then God, then he finally lets go. And God leaves and, and Jacob leaves there, uh, now a, a, a believer, and understanding that he has been chosen by God. Uh, but he, although he gains a blessing from this wrestling match he also is is limping because he's been injured so this is an important passage i think and one that we probably would highlight in the book of genesis because it tells us that we too may wrestle with the things of god which is important if we're doing bible study um, it's okay to ask questions it's okay to hang on it's okay to say, I don't know, what's your name? What is your nature and character? I don't understand. I want to learn more. And it's okay to ask for a blessing. But we have to understand that although we will gain a lot 
from a deep study of the Bible uh, that also in some ways it will change us. Uh, it may not make us limp, but there will be things, there will be ideas that we've held maybe our whole lives that we will have to let go of and reconsider. So that's where we're, we're starting. We're at the beginning, uh, in the beginning. Uh, hope you'll join us for our next episode, which will be in the book of Exodus. Welcome to Bible Basics, episode one on the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Genesis, the word Genesis means beginnings, and this book is about the beginnings of of everything, pretty much, of many things, about the beginning of the universe and the beginning of humankind, the beginning of the people of Israel, and the beginning of God's activity in the world. This writing probably dates back before the time of King David, maybe back as far as 1100 years before the birth of, of Jesus. It has many connections to Near Eastern cultures. Uh, the most well-known probably is the legend of Gilgamesh, a Mesopotamian legend that is very similar to the story of Noah and the Great Flood. Uh, but there is a uniqueness to the Hebrew thought that is found in this book, uh, most particularly the monotheism, all the other religions of uh, the world at that time uh, involve multiple gods. And the other distinguishing feature is that the God that is celebrated in the book of Genesis is a benevolent God. The, the gods of the, the Mesopotamian world and the Egyptian world were gods who played with people. People were pawns in the games and the wars and the battles and the loves that the gods had among themselves. And, and human beings were just pawns in, in that whole operation. But the Hebrew people saw a completely different God, a God who was interested in human beings and interested in interacting with human beings and interested in the welfare of the people. I picture the ancient days, a, a group of old men from a village who were too old to work in the fields anymore, and they had decided that they really needed to get out of the village, so they get away from the, you know, screaming children and all the heat and everything, and they so they climbed up on a mountain nearby, and they sat up on top of the mountain, and at first they just visited, but they began to ask themselves questions about how things came to be the way they are. And I picture one old guy saying, well, my grandpa told me that this guy named Abraham brought his family over here. And so maybe the stories started and they, they began to seek out answers and truths to uh, the questions that they had. Eventually, as they kept going up to these high spots, they would beat down an area that, that, uh, where they always sat and these became holy places. And as they 
interacted with their God up on top of these mountains and they interacted with each other and they uh, wrote down the things that they thought God was telling them. Uh, those things became the sacred stories that they passed along as well. So that is what Genesis is. Uh, not that it happened exactly that way, but but that is what Genesis is. It's the it's the saga. It's uh, uh, the story of the people of God. It's the the myth that gives the people of God their identity. And when I use the word myth, I, I don't mean that it's not true. There is a lot of truth in the book of Genesis. Uh, although the history of it, exactly the way it's written down, may or may not be uh, exactly the way things came about. It has some themes that run through the book of Genesis that are actually themes that run through the whole Bible. Uh, God promises things. God gives blessings to people. God elects or chooses people to do things. And God saves those who are lost. This is a God who makes covenants, who makes agreements, uh, almost like law agreements with, uh, with his people and with, with people he chooses. Also, throughout the book, human life grows more complex, starts with everything quite simple in the Garden of Eden with two people, and there's no boundaries between God and, the, and, and humans. Uh, and it grows, and of course, then there's the fall, and it grows more and more complex as time goes on. That's a truth I think uh, we, we still see today. I, I, mean, I there have been a few times in my life I said things were much simpler when I was little, and in truth they were. There were fewer people in the United States, and, and uh, life was just a little bit simpler, and, and now it's a little more complex. So this is uh, a truism, I think, but it's a, it's a theme that is found throughout the Bible. As, as, as the history of the Bible uh, is unveiled, uh, human life gets more and more complex, and you might say more and more difficult. And another theme that runs through the whole Bible is that God works out his plans through human beings. Um, he chooses human beings to do things. God has a plan. God has a plan for this whole cosmos that he has built. Uh, and for some reason that's never explained and is unknown to us, God has decided to work those plans out through human beings. Uh, the basic story uh, starts out with uh, seven days of creation. There's really two creation stories. One is in uh, chapters 1, 1 through 2, 3. That's the one that we all know where God uh, God works for seven days and, and or for six days and, and creates everything and then rests on the seventh day. Uh, God creates by speaking. And in this account, he uh, creates human beings at the end. Uh, and creates them male and female at the same time and makes humans in God's image. In the prelude to the Gospel of John, uh, God also creates by speaking. And John presents Jesus as the Logos, or the Word of God, and, and explains that Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Christ, was there at the beginning of creation. 
and, uh, and in fact was the creating force that God used to make all things. So once again, uh, we have an account of the word of language being the creative uh, force. The uh, book of Proverbs gives the same characteristics and the same relationship with God to a character called Lady Wisdom. And uh, so if you put all this into a package, you get a, a picture of wisdom and creation and the creative force coming through the development and the use of language, which of course uh, was the thing that brought civilization into being. The second story uh, of creation uh, does not follow the same order. Human beings are created earlier uh, in the process. Uh, God makes a human being from the dirt, from the dust of the earth, and he breathes life into him. He, he says he breathes the breath of life into man's nostrils. That word breath is pneuma in Greek, and pneuma means uh, air, really. Uh, it's the same word that is used, going to be used later in the New Testament for the Spirit of God. And, of course, we know the word pneuma from pneumatics, you know, pneumatic tools. And so... This uh, breath of life is, it's more than just God-given CPR to this being that he's made. It's the actual life force that comes from God and, and comes from the spirit of God. And then uh, the story moves to, uh, of course, then the, the woman is made later from, uh, from man because God determines that man needs a companion. So Adam and Eve are there in the Garden of Eden uh, where they're everything, they don't have to work, everything's provided for them. Uh, God is present with them all the time. There's no dividing line between heaven and earth. But they are told that they can eat from the tree of life, which sits in the middle of the garden, but not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of course, they cannot follow that example because like all human beings since, they want to determine their own fate and they want to be their own God and make their own decisions and be free. And so they pick fruit from the, and they eat fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and as a result, God banishes them from the garden uh, and they are banished out to east of Eden, the Bible tells us. That's uh, how John Steinbeck got the name for his famous novel of the same title, East of Eden. And then there's a story of Cain and Abel. So shortly after Adam and Eve sin and are banished from the garden, we have the very first murder in human history when Cain kills his brother Abel. He murders him because of jealousy. He is jealous that God um, seems to think more highly of Abel and of Abel's sacrifices and worship than he does of Cain. We're never told exactly why that is, but uh, but in fact, here we have the first murder, and things go downhill from there. Uh, the, there's this fanciful story about the Nephilim, who are uh, giants that roam the earth and uh, who are the result of, of uh, union between angels and human beings, 
and how uh, God finally looks at this whole mess and, and all the sin and, and things aren't going the way he planned them to go and he decides to destroy everything and start over again. But he finds one, uh, one honest, righteous man in Noah. And so Noah and his family and two animals of, of every species get to be saved. They go on the ark and, and they survive the flood that wipes out everything else. And we begin again. But of course, the story of sin uh, continues uh, almost as soon as Noah gets off the ark. Uh, first thing he does, as a matter of fact, is go get drunk. So then we move to the story of Abraham. It goes through a few generations and explanations of how that happens. But we get to the story of Abraham, who lives in Ur, which is over by the Tigris and Euphrates River. Uh, and God calls him to come to the promised land. So he packs up his wife, Sarah, and his family, and he heads that way. Uh, Sarah, it turns out, cannot have children, but God promises Abraham that he will be the, the he makes a covenant with him and tells him that he will watch over Abraham, will watch over his family, and that his family, his descendants will be so numerous as the stars, and that they will be a great nation, and that they will be God's people. Sarah eventually in her old age does have a child, Isaac. Uh, earlier, Abraham has had a, uh, a son by one of the servant women named Ishmael. So we then have a little contest between who is going to be the favorite son, Isaac or Ishmael. Sarah manages to have Ishmael and his mother sent off into the desert uh, to die, but they do survive, and Ishmael becomes the ancestor of the uh, Arabian people. And Isaac, of course, the, uh, the ancestor, he's one of the patriarchs of the Jewish people. So we follow that story of the patriarchs uh, from Abraham to Isaac and then to Isaac's son, Jacob. Uh, Jacob is somewhat of a schemer, and he manages to steal his brother's inheritance and, and blessing and uh, his brother Esau, and, and who was the older brother and, and had the birthright. And Esau threatens to kill Jacob, and, and so Jacob's mother, Rebecca, tells him that he needs to run away for a while, let things settle down. So he goes to Haran, uh, an area to the north uh, where his uncle lives. And while he's there, he becomes quite wealthy. He marries uh, both uh, Leah and Rachel. And uh, eventually, after some time, he decides to come back to the, to the promised land, to the land of his father, uh, and to make up with his brother Esau. When... While, uh, while he's running away, uh, while he's on his way to Haran, he stops at a place called uh, uh, Beersheba. And he reaches, one night he gets to a place where he, the sun's going down and he decides that he's going to uh, take a nap. So he takes one of the stones and he puts his head on it. And he lays down to sleep and he has a dream and he sees a stairway. We call it Jacob's Ladder in the songs and in Sunday school. But he sees a stairway that goes from earth to heaven and he sees angels, angels of God ascending and descending on it. 
And then he sees God standing there and, and God says, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the lands on which you are lying. Jacob doesn't quite believe him, uh, but he, he does remember that dream and it influences him the rest of his life. Jesus, much later, uh, when talking to his disciples, uh, his disciples are so uh, impressed with that he can read their minds, that he knows what they're thinking. And, and uh, in the Gospel of John, the first chapter, he, he answers their wonder about this by saying, you, you haven't seen anything yet. You're going to see much greater miracles than me just knowing what you're thinking. And then he says, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, Jesus knew the Bible very well. He was a rabbi. He, he had Genesis memorized. I remember there wasn't a lot of writing going on in these days. So the rabbis memorized big chunks of the Bible. So Jesus knew the Bible really well. And he knew he was talk, what he was talking about was Jacob's ladder. So what he is saying to his disciples is, here I am. I'm, I'm Jacob's dream, Jacob's ladder, the dream of mankind that they would have access to God uh, in the flesh. I, I am the way to God. And then, so Jacob goes and he, and he has this, this time in Haran where he gets married, gets rich, and he comes back. And when he gets to the Jabbok River, just, which is the boundary between his uncle's land and, and the land of his, his, his own land, land of his father, he sends all his wives and his children and his, all his herds and his servants and everything across the river, but he stays alone there. And while he's there, he gets in a wrestling match with this man who wrestles with him all night long. Uh, and when this man, who turns out to be God, uh, sees that he can't overpower him, he, he touches his hip and he, he wounds him and... Uh, the man then says, let me go for it's daybreak. Well, in the belief of that time, you couldn't see God. If you saw God face to face, that you would die. And so God is saying to Jacob, let me go, because if the sun comes up and you see me face to face, you're not just going to be have an injured hip. You're going to be dead. But Jacob says, I'm not going to let go unless you bless me. And then uh, God changes Jacob's name to Israel, which... Uh, means the one who wrestles with God. And, uh, and then uh, blesses him. Uh, Jacob does ask God his name. And God doesn't really uh, reply. He says, why do you ask me my name? And when, when Jacob's asking God for his name, God, Jacob is really asking, tell me what you are and who you are. What is your, not just what your name is, but what's your nature? What's your character? Names are really important in, in the Old Testament and to some degree in the New. They, they mean a lot and they tell you not just a label for the person, but they tell you about the person. So Jacob wanted to know more about God. But anyway, he hangs on until he's blessed and then, uh, and then God then he finally lets go. And God leaves and, and Jacob leaves there, uh, now a, a, a believer, and understanding that he has been chosen by God. But he, although he gains a blessing from this wrestling match, he also is, is limping because he's been injured. 
this is an important passage, I think, and one that we probably would highlight in the book of Genesis because it tells us that we too may wrestle with the things of God, which is important if we're doing Bible study. Um, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to hang on. It's okay to say, I don't know. What's your name? What is your nature and character? I don't understand. I want to learn more. And it's okay to ask for a blessing. But we have to understand that although we will gain a lot from a deep study of the Bible, uh, that also in some ways it will change us. Uh, it may not make us limp, but there will be things, there will be ideas that we've held maybe our whole lives that we will have to let go of and reconsider. So that's where we're, we're starting. We're at the beginning, uh, in the beginning. Uh, hope you'll join us for our next episode, which will be in the book of Exodus.